So God is good, correct? All the time. You know, I think sometimes we forget to share that with others. So often we share maybe the pain and the struggles, and they're real, don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about that today. But uh, I think at times we forget to just talk about God's goodness and how great He is. So uh, remember to do that through the week. Just really be thanking Him. Um, He gives you the air you breathe, uh, the beautiful sunsets we've had, the warm weather. It's just been, you know, He's good all the time. Even when we don't think He is, He's still good. So so Frank said to me, he asked me to do, do a favor for him, and I said, no problem. Uh, we're, we're actually going to address one more question. Uh, that's what we're going to look at today, um, with something we missed. So Sam, could you pull that slide up for me? So here's what the question is. Regarding heaven, in the Bible we were taught that uh, the Bible is going to be a special place beyond what we can fully understand. Are we going to fly around like angels, and will there be unlimited ice cream uh, that won't make me gain weight. And lastly, will God let Tom Brady and Bill Belichick into heaven even if they know Jesus? So, I, I'm just kidding. Frank's gone, so I can do whatever I want. Mark's gone. I mean, who's going to pull me off stage now, right? So, and then they get Antonio Brown. Unbelievable. I'm a Redskins fan, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so, no. Anyway, so Frank actually said, he goes, I'm going to give you full reign. You've got to be funny to get started. I said, okay, I will. So it is, it is uh, good to be back up here. It's been a while, um, and it's a joy to uh, just see uh, all your smiling faces. Uh, it is good to be um, with our church family. Uh, one of the things that I found over this course of this sabbatical, uh, Frank really encouraged me to go check out other churches, see, see how other churches church and so forth. And one of the things I said to Michelle every Sunday whenever I would do that the thing that I missed was being with uh, my church family. Um, it is, it's, just, it's just good to be with you all. Even the new faces, you probably don't know me, I don't know you, uh, but it's, it's just good to be with uh, church family. I'm going to talk a little bit about my sabbatical as kind of why I'm preaching on what I'm preaching on today. Today we're going to look at uh, Matthew 11:25 through 30. Um, so here's my question to all of you. So who here is tired, run down, uh, burdened, weary at times? Who, who, some of that, right? Honestly, uh, one of the mistakes I think we do as Christians is sometimes we walk around with our heads hung low, as if we have been defeated. Uh, we are serving a victorious God, um, and that's something we can't forget. So when I uh, decided to take a sabbatical, I was, um, I probably should have taken it a couple years prior. Uh, I was run down. I was tired. I was, um, I was really depleted um, for, for many reasons. I think some, some worldly reasons, but more importantly, I had really kind of let my relationship with Christ slip. Uh, I didn't lose my salvation. That's not what we're up here to talk about or anything. But I just had really just kind of lost the idea of really who God is and just how great He is. Um, And one of the things that I kept doing was, I was like, okay, Lord, so where do you want me in Scripture during this time? So one of the places He put me was I I read through the Gospels. And I read through them probably about three or four times. And I was just really reminded of His truth. And I think that's an important thing for us to do. I'm not the best retainer of knowledge. 
Um, I've said multiple times to the counseling team, I really don't like reading. It's just not my thing. So when I do read, it sometimes is a struggle to get it all to stick in there. So for a a knucklehead like me to reread something over and over again was a really, really good thing. And I would gather, I'm not going to call you a knucklehead, but I'm sure there's a few of you here that struggle in the same way. So uh, three major truths were really the Lord kind of carried me through. And that was these, if you read the Gospels, we see three things that we're really called to do. One is, one, to come to the Lord. Two is to follow Him. And three is to abide in Him. One of the things we're going to talk about today is the idea of what does it mean to come to the Lord and why are we coming to Him? Um, the, the verse that I have, the passage that I've used multiple times in a counseling world is, is Matthew 28-30. through 30. Come to me all who are weary and burdensome and so forth. And I found myself reading that passage for me for one of the first times. And I started to really realize how wonderful our Lord and Savior really is. And why He calls us to do that. Because as we know, as many hands went up, this world can be tough. It can be tiring. We are enemies of this world. Why? Because we have Jesus' name stamped on us. And they don't like Him. They don't like what He says. So there, is this, there's this, there will be this power struggle that constantly happens here. And we're going to look at a little bit of that in Matthew 10 and into 11. But the main part of it is we're going to focus on uh, 25 through 30. So I just want to pray for us. And I just want to lift up this time um, that we really keep our focus on Christ today and that we leave here uh, changed and eager eager to share the gospel and the good news with others. Heavenly Father, we just come before You, Lord, and we just thank You for today, Lord. We thank You for the beautiful weather You have given us, Lord. And Father, we just want to lift up those on the East Coast, Lord, that have been um, in the path of a hurricane. Father, would Your name be known to those people? Father, I think often of times of tragic times like that, Lord, how people step up. Lord, would people step up in Your name? Would Your name be known, Father? And would many, many people come to know who You are? Father, we lift up today to You, Lord. I ask You to strengthen me. uh, Work in and through me, Father. Push me out of the way, Lord. And just open the hearts of all of us, including me, Lord, to hear Your Word as You intended it to be, Father. We love You in Your holy name. Amen. Okay, so no more Patriot jokes, by the way. Okay, so let me start here. So in Matthew 10, uh, you know, the, the history guy in me, I think it's important to look at what happens in Scripture from a historical standpoint and what's going on. So we see in Matthew 10 that Jesus at the beginning has put together his, his team of 12 disciples. We see their names all together and so forth. And then what does Jesus do? He gives them a charge. He tells them, you're going to have authority, you're going to have power, you're going to have all these things that I'm giving you. You haven't earned these. I'm giving them to you so that you can spread my name, share the good news of who I am, and talk much about your Savior. But then He says to them, but you're going to have a really tough time. 
He says in verse 16, as, as Gattaccio, I'm the same way as you, I have to wear the glasses now. In verse 16 it says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And then in 17 it says, to be on guard against men because they will hand you over and you will be whipped and flogged. And because you know me, you will face many, many troubles. Well, who's excited to serve the Lord? Right? He's warning them. He's saying, this is going to be great. You're going to do great things because of me. But it's going to be really, really tough. Anybody feel that way here? Right? He has equipped us to do great things for His name. But it can be tough. It can be really, really tough. And then as He's finishing up with His disciples and He gets done that teaching, we come to Matthew 11 where John the Baptist is in prison. And John the Baptist is not quite sure if Jesus is who He says He is. So what does John the Baptist do? He sends some disciples ahead and Jesus comes across them and it says, we see at the beginning of this chapter where John is unsure and only as Jesus can do, he answers John's doubt this way. Tell John what you see happening. The blind can see, the lame can walk, and so forth. Listen to his response here. He's not in a defensive mode. He just says, Tell John it is what it is. Look at what I'm doing. I am the Son of God. I am doing amazing things. I am who I say I am. So they go back. They tell John and so forth. And then Jesus begins to preach and teach others. And in verse 20 to 24... Jesus gets pretty fired up. And this is an important part in Matthew. This is really the first time where Jesus is saying, you've seen, He says this to these two cities, you have seen the great things I have done, and you've not repented, and you've not followed Me. And and if you read the text, we don't have enough time to do it today, but if you read that text, especially on your own, you will see just this amount of frustration and passion that Christ has. He was upset, very upset, that two cities had seen the great works that He had done. And they had not repented and turned to Him. Jesus is calling out unbelievers and the disbelieving majority, or as they were referred to in verse 16, this generation. And then Jesus switches gears, which is what brings us to where we are today. And that is 25 through 30 in Matthew. So let me, I'd like to read that for you all. I'm reading out of the uh, NIV, by the way. So, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to your little children. Verse 26, yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things. Very important. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal, reveal to Him. 
So then in verse 28, Jesus is saying, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. And He ends with just another reminder, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Most of us who read that passage, and me included here, we immediately jump into verse 28. But there's three verses here that are really, really important to how God has revealed who Jesus is. In the NIV it says this, in verse 28, I praise you, Father. In the ESV it says, I thank you, Father. Sorry, in verse 25, my apologies. Whichever version there is, the idea is both that Jesus is full of thanksgiving and praise for God's mighty work. Jesus is praising His Father for being Lord of heaven and earth, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. He is all-knowing and fully in control. And then lastly, it says that He is the one who can reveal these heavenly truths to His children, referring to those who have come to know Jesus with the humility and simple faith of a child. And lastly, there's something that's implied here. And that is that no person, none of us here today, has the ability to know or understand anything that God does not choose to reveal to each one of us. Apart from God, we have worldly knowledge, which I have found in my own walk, is pretty worthless and doesn't do me any good. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Then we come to one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture, because this is, I believe, don't hold me to this, but I believe in Matthew, this is really the first time how Jesus really sets Himself apart, sets himself apart by saying who sent Him and why He was sent. So, we see that the Father-Son relationship and the deity of Christ is right here in these verses. Then Jesus tells us that no one knows Him except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to God. So I was thinking to myself, in your life and in mine, do you have a great relationship with somebody? I was thinking about my wife. Um, I was thinking about the relationship I have with her is really different than I have with anybody. She knows me better than anybody here on earth. I hope I know her better than anybody here on earth. Um, I tend to fall at sometimes not understanding her as well as I should. But she really understands me. She gets me. Uh, she gets the bad parts and the good parts. But she really gets me. And I thought about that relationship that I have with her, and even thought of some of my relationships with some of my very good friends. And then I was trying to compare that to God the Father and God the Son. And I was trying to think about how amazing that relationship is. Right? Michelle's a sinner. Yes, I'm a sinner too. I know it's hard to believe. Um, we're broken. We bring baggage to the relationship, okay? 
And we still love each other, but we can't fully love each other because we're not perfect, right? So I was thinking about that relationship again that Jesus is talking about here as only the Father knows me and only I know the Father. Now, I'm not trying to geek out on you, but that blows my mind. Think about that. The one who in verse 28 is saying, come to me, I will help you. I will give you rest. God has given him all authority. In verse 26, it says that the Father has given me all authority. So the one who created all, everything, the universe, earth, us, is saying to his son, here you go. You have all authority. You have all authority. I just think about that relationship and how just amazing that relationship is. But what really matters to us today is, is how does that, why does that mean so much to us when it comes to verse 28, 29, and 30? Because we're going to the one, folks, that created us, that knows us, that knows. I never take this lightly. I'm sure there's many of you that are walking in here with burdens so heavy, you feel like you couldn't even get out of bed. I know I've walked in here sometimes like that. He knows you. He has a plan for you. He knows what's going on in your life. I think for me, I'm a touchy-feely kind of guy. I like to... I'm an emotional guy. Sometimes I, I don't feel him, and I start to think, well, he's left me alone. I'm now on this on my own. That's my doubt. That's Satan kind of going, no, 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 no. He's left you alone. You're on your own. The one who has all authority is saying to all of us in this room the next three verses. And let me just read those again. Because I think they are powerful, powerful verses. Jesus is saying this. Do you ready? I'll just throw some names out there. John, Mary, Peter, Randy, Rob, Michelle, Jake. You name it. He's saying this to you all. Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. The One who has all authority is calling. Calling us. The idea that we have to have movement in our relationship with God. Okay? Similar to Movement in your, in your relationship with best friends, with your kids, at work, and so forth. So often, I think at times we sit back on our couches like, okay, Lord, I'm ready to see you work. He can do that. He's God, fully in control. He can do whatever He wants. But specifically to us, 
there has to be movement from us. So Jesus tells us three things that we have to do in this passage. And then He wraps it up at the end. So one, He first says this, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the first thing He's saying is that we have to move towards Him. Not just physically, but the idea of spiritually and in relationship. So again, as I read through the Gospels over and over, God told me something that I needed to work on, and that was me moving towards Him. The Rainies wrote a book one time called uh, Staying Together or Staying Close. And the idea was that they said marriages are either moving apart or moving closer. That when you're stagnant, you actually are moving apart. I'd say it's similar in our relationship with Christ. When we are stagnant, we're actually being taken away. We're, we're moving apart. So let me show you a couple things in Matthew that stood out to me about the idea of, of coming and moving towards the Lord. Excuse me. So in Matthew 4:18 through22, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Peter and Andrew, and he said to them, "Follow me." Everybody know what they did? They dropped what they were doing, and they followed him. Then in Matthew 9:9, he comes upon a guy by the name of Matthew. He wrote this nice little book that we're reading out of. And Jesus saw a man called Matthew and He said the same thing. Follow Me. And what did Matthew do? He stopped what he was doing and he followed Jesus. Jesus isn't just telling us that He can give us rest, but He is telling us that we must do something. And that is to stop what we're doing and come to Him. So folks, I have said this to my kids. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Satan is crafty. Okay? So if Satan wanted to, he could build a big missile and drop it on Uniontown if he wanted to do that. But that's not really how he works. He works very subtly. He's a deceiver. Okay? Satan loves creating stuff in your life. Things that pull you away from relationships. Whether it's relationship from your wife, whether it's your relationship with friends, and most importantly, He loves keeping you busy so that your relationship with Christ falls apart. Not on Christ's side, but on our side. Okay, We have to be weary and ready to go for that type of craftiness that Satan has. That's why we must continue to press in, press on, Come to Christ. Follow Christ. And so forth. There's a movement that has to happen on our part. The God of all things, the God of the universe, is inviting you and me to have a personal relationship. And if we do that, He will give us rest. This rest is the same rest that is talked about in Hebrews 3 and 4, which is talking about our present rest, meaning the things we're going through now, And also our eternal rest. When life gets in the way, I know I can get bogged down with an earthly perspective instead of having a future heavenly perspective. The picture that came to me when I was reading this verse over and over again, I had a dad who used to love it when he would get home and he would sit. He had a big wingback chair that's actually in my office now. And 
he would sit in that chair and he'd love you to kind of just run up and climb in his lap and he would just hold you. That's the picture I had of really what Jesus is saying to us. Just climb up in my lap. It's going to be okay. It's much better here than over there by yourself. The next thing that Jesus tells us to do, He says, take my yoke upon you. So what is this yoke? And why does Jesus use this imagery? How many farmers do I have in in here? Probably quite a bit, right? Okay. So back in the day, before tractors, they would put these ginormous... um, Wooden yokes. They would put them on oxen, normally in pair. In pair, sorry. That same yoke was then later used as a yoke of slavery. So if you were in, in slavery or a confinement or captive, you would have a yoke put on you, the idea of controlling you. It's very funny. When the world talks about this passage, What is the world's view of Jesus' yoke? It's going to bog you down. It's all about rules. He puts all these rules on you. He doesn't want you to do things. So think back to the garden. What does Satan do? He puts doubt in the back of their mind of God's goodness. The world's doing the same thing with us when it's talking about a yoke. You don't want that. Jesus is trying to control you and so forth. Jesus is telling us that we no longer need to be under that yoke of slavery, but under His yoke. The yoke kind of that the world's talking about. So what does the yoke of Christ look like? Some have said it's the obedience of God, the obedience to God, or to the obedience of Jesus Himself. And that is true But what's more important here in this passage specifically is the key is the connection of yoke to wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. The yoke is not just following Jesus in discipleship, but loyalty and obedience to His teachings. In addition to all of this, the yoke implies a personal relationship with Christ as we humble ourselves and give up control of our own lives to Him. We must be willing to have an obedient heart to Jesus' instruction. So the image that Jesus is in the yoke with us. So think about it. Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. It's as if He is the second oxen with His yoke carrying most of the load. Right? The idea that you're in tandem working with Christ in a close personal relationship for God's work. Important to understand that. That yoke is not a burden. That yoke for us is a way of, uh, for us to learn, gain in wisdom and knowledge and so forth. And then the last thing He says to us is, you need to learn from Me. When we take His yoke, we then can learn from Christ. But don't lose this picture. The emphasis is not on what we're learning as much as it is the emphasis on Jesus. It's as if He is saying, 
Take my word upon you and let me be your personal teacher through it. Nothing better than having the author of the book be your personal trainer and teacher. The essence of true discipleship or being a follower of Jesus Christ is hearing and doing all that Jesus teaches. We learn this from Jesus in this way. Hearing is to obey as learning is to do. So Jesus ends this passage with this. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And He reminds us again, because that's the way we have to to be reminded, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus can identify and teach the weary and the burdened because like them, he is, he is meek, gentle, and humble. Meek meaning gentleness and patience. This speaks to Jesus' gentle nature and meekness towards God and others. And humble refers to his submission to God and willingness to take a low position in relationship to others. One of the best places to see Jesus' humility is when Paul writes the letter to the Galatians and in chapter 2, one of my favorite verses, the idea of consider others better than yourself. That was Jesus. That's the way He looked. And the perfect picture is Him on the cross. You think about the meekness and the gentleness and the humility it took for Him to do that. It's amazing. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. So, we're almost finished. I want to wrap it up with just two more things. So no one here, no one has an easy road through this world. Yet for every person, there is an alternative. Everyone in here, all of us, we have some type of yoke or burden, but we can choose whether we will wear the world's yoke or Christ's yoke. If we choose the way of the world, we will be just like the Jews. We will be weighed down by practices and regulations that provide no rest for the weary. That idea of working our way into heaven or trying to be a great person. Jesus' yoke is much different. It's more than a way of life or some deep thought. It's about a relationship with Him. Following Him and being committed to Him and His teachings. It is choosing to walk side by side with Him. Rest is not just a sense of peace in this chaotic life. It's having a dependence on Jesus. One of the commentaries that I read, I thought the guy gave a really cool picture of. It's like a child walking with their big brother and thinking, I'm probably not going to be able to do much, but since i got my big brother, I can probably do anything. I thought, of, I thought of Carly walking with Will. Carly, a lot shorter than Will, and Will being the big brother. There's this sense of, like, my big brother's with me. With Jesus, Him carrying that yoke with you, you can do anything. It is, in, it is with Christ that we navigate through life, all the obstacles and pitfalls we run into. 
Every challenge that is in front of us becomes an opportunity to watch Christ work in and through us in our lives. So here's how I would like to end. I'm going to end a little differently. I'm going to read to you how I rewrote the passage 28 through 30 for me. If you've never taken a passage from the Bible, and I, I learned this from Denise. Uh, I think somebody had given to her for Christmas, or maybe she had done it. I apologize. But the idea of taking Scripture and personalizing it for you. Like when you take away, come to me, but instead you put, hey William, come to me. It personalizes it as if Jesus is speaking it directly to you. So I'm going to share that with you all, how I did that. And what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to just bow your heads. I'm going to read that for you and think about it, how it relates to you. And then I want to pray for you. And then uh, Jeremy and the worship team will come up. So this is what I wrote. William, come to me. You are tired. You are drained, weary, empty. And you've been trying to do way too much. I have your life under control. You don't need to control everything. Plus, you've been carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You don't need to do that either. That's my job. If you will just stop, take a breath, and rest in me, you will be fine. Let me help you. Get rid of that yoke that you keep putting on. Take mine. And I will teach you and you will learn so much about life and me. You just need to slow down, carve out some time for you and me, and lastly, you need to be teachable. See, William, I am gentle. I am kind. I am full of compassion. I am humble at heart and absolutely in love with you. Your soul is so restless. Rest in me and you will find rest and peace will be yours. And don't forget it. My yoke is easy, so much easier than the world's, and my burden is light. Come to me. Heavenly Father, I just thank You, Lord. I thank You that the God of the universe invites us to come to You. Father, You are so amazing. Amazing beyond what we can even fathom, Lord. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank you for your love. And Father, as always, <laughs> thank you for being faithful to a people that have been so unfaithful to you, Lord. Father, we love you. And Father, we just want to lift up the burdens and those that are coming in here weary and tired, Lord. Would you just draw them close this week, Father? Would you make your presence known to them in their lives that it's so thick, Lord, they'd have to cut it with a knife? Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your son. And thank you for what he did on the cross for us, Lord. We love you in your holy name. Amen.